This is exactly right. Hi, I'm Erin Welsh. And I'm Erin Almond Updike, and we're the hosts of This Podcast Will Kill You on Exactly Right. We're back with our seventh season, which is bigger and better than ever. Because guess what? We're now a weekly show. This season, we're tackling everything from long COVID to norovirus, from the supplement industry to IVF, and so, so much more. New episodes drop every single Tuesday. Follow This Podcast Will Kill You wherever you get your podcasts. Are you leaving or are you on your way back home? Either way, we want to be there. Doesn't matter how much baggage you claim. Give us a time and date. Terminal and gate. We want to send you off in style. We want to welcome you back home. Tell us all about it. Were you scared or was it fine? Welcome to Do You Need a Ride? This is Chris Fairbanks. And this is Karen Kilgariff. Karen Kilgariff, I don't know if you noticed, but I cut off my cartoonish hair. You know what's funny? I should have noticed, and I actually didn't. Well, it's still got... It's just I'm not going to hear any more Carrot Top, Sideshow Bob comments. You shaped it. You sculpted it a bit. It is, yes. It's more rounded and more like a 1988 dad. Cool. Uh, Yeah. And is that what you asked for? I already, yes. I brought in pictures of different dads from television. Nice. And the guy obliged. But I, yeah, I can already tell people are treating me uh, with respect. And <laughs> uh, no one's going to pick any fights with me. Calling me hippie at a laundromat. That was kind of a sketchy situation. But yeah, <laughs> I just uh, want you to know. Because I don't know if you were a big fan of my cartoon clown hair. I didn't. Now that it's gone, I can say I did not like it. Because, can I say why? Yes. First of all, because we're friends and I'm honest with you. Yes, please. The ends, first of all, look like you were doing joke hair. So anytime people do presentational stuff with their person, I just go like, take it easy. Yeah. But you're not the type to do that, but it looked like you were doing it. Then I was like, hey, it's his quarantine. Yeah. He can do what he wants. When I was on stage, that's when it dawned on me, oh my God, I have comedic hair. Yes. Walking around during this pandemic. I didn't have comedy. I needed some kind of an outlet. It might as well be my hair. Uh, but you said the ends, the actual split ends, you weren't a fan of, it seemed like. I don't know if they were yeah. split. I never got to be that close to you, but it had a flyaway like uh, kind of presentation. And you're right. I think when you're on stage and you're doing like funny stuff with your presence, I don't know what the, your image. My physical, my. Pratt Falls and all that, yeah. There's nothing to play against. Suddenly it's like, look, the clown is here. Yeah. You know what I mean? So then it's like, right, honk, honk, get on with it. Whereas when you come on and you have, you know, sometimes when you like gel your hair down and you kind of look like you're from the 20s, then people are like, oh, look at this dapper gentleman. And boom, here come the hard jokes. Yeah. They don't see it coming. Yeah. It's a total shock. You're right. There has to be that contrast because my material certainly isn't dapper or gentlemanly. Uh, right. <laughs> I ride Seriously. the edge. I really push the envelope. <laughs> Speaking of envelope pushing and physical comedy, <laughs> you know our guest today from Karen. Does he, he does clubs and colleges all over the country. Yeah, comedy clubs and colleges. Mm-hmm, right. Both. Numerous colleges. He actually, and I want to talk to him about it, he made the funniest video. Uh, I don't think that he's celebrated enough for his physical comedy, but we'll talk to him about it. Everyone, Fahim Anwar. 
Hey, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I didn't know I do so many colleges. I'm learning about my career here. Yeah. Yeah. We say that, and I think we have yet to have a comic that's done a college in the last 10 years. But <laughs> but it really go. it's all the K sounds in the intro. Yeah. It makes it mm-hmm. seem like you're doing things people don't even know sure. are possible, yeah. right? And everywhere. Yeah. You're everywhere. I love that that's such a boilerplate intro when you bring up another comic. It's like this next guy, clubs and colleges all over. Like people are impressed just by the sheer yeah. quantity yeah. of the two. All over. <laughs> Both? What? Clubs and colleges? <laughs> but to us, that is impressive because I only go to two colleges. I have an ability with bringing up something I found online or saw once that the comic is not at all proud of. But I have a feeling you are proud of your... Well, I like the, I like the deep dive B-side more than something everyone has seen. Yeah. Because there's like a deeper level of appreciation and understanding. So when it's the thing no one else points to, I love that. Well, now I hope no one has. I mean, it was sort of recent, (laughs) uh, maybe two years ago, but you did a self-tape audition for the Invisible Man movie. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know if you've seen it, Karen, but he just, I mean, it's, he's basically, so you're the Invisible Man, huh? And then he just beats himself up. But your ability... (laughs) To throw a punch and have it seem like an invisible person is holding your arm up and then making you hit your own self (laughs) in the balls. I watched that over and over. You're not even saying much in it, but your physical ability is unprecedented. That's deeply appreciated. Like that, that was one take, believe it or not. Really? One take, yeah. And what's (laughs) absurd is like that Instagram video made it into the Comedy Store documentary on Showtime. I'm like watching it and I'm like, that's what you picked from me (laughs) just an instagram video i made during quarantine here's uh, something you may not have known i edited that comedy central documentary (laughs) ah that's why you put it in there you have a soft spot okay okay (laughs) i am the biggest fan no makes sense you're invisible man self-tape i mean i just remember i was watching that movie with this girl i was dating at the time and we're watching the it's it's a drama the invisible man you know the reboot with uh yeah is it Elizabeth Moss? Elizabeth Moss. Yep. Yeah. So, but then that scene happens in there. Like, I pretty much, it's almost like I'm just making fun of that scene. Like, I just bust out laughing in the middle of this drama. And I'm like, thank God, like, I'm watching this during quarantine because I would have to leave the movie theater. I was laughing so hard. <laughs> yeah, the only one laughing because you saw a lot of your moves. Yeah, because it's supposed to be terrifying. I saw it in the theater yeah. and I had the same reaction where I really loved the house that it started in or she went to where I was like, this is an amazing architecture or whatever. But I'm like, that's not the point of this. (laughs) And then my friend was like raving about it. And I was like, so you love it when people look around. Because that was the entire movie was just her like looking, like really dramatically looking around a room. Yeah, It's like that. It was truly like 30 solid minutes if you edited just those parts together where she's like... He's there, but yeah. she can't it's, see yes, him. Yes, so he's invisible. Search. The yes. movie should have been as long as Fahim's video. <laughs> what I don't like about that film, if we're going to keep talking about and we are, this whole podcast is about the invisible man. Yeah. I hope you're yes. ready. Uh, Every single person. Yeah, hard pivot. It's just another movie where everyone she knows that she trusts, like her closest friend, no one believes her, her own sister. And it gets so frustrating when that is the... Because, of course, they aren't going to believe her, but that's the whole movie. No one believes her. And it's like, ah. But I watched yeah. the whole thing. Well, yeah, someone <laughs> believes her, the movie's over. Yeah. Right? I suppose that would throw a wrench in it. The lesson is believe all women, I think, from Invisible Man. <laughs> that is the yeah. takeaway. Yeah. A lot of people don't see it coming, but it's a very... <laughs> it's very subversive. Arguably the most important <laughs> film of this yeah. decade, I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. And of the women's movement, yeah. I think. And that's... Very few women actually saw that movie, and it's doing a lot of work on their behalf. So we got to get the word out. It probably is in the women's movement category on Netflix. Everyone, they have these categories sometimes. <laughs> yes. Like Black Lives, and they'll just have... The most, they should be ashamed at some of the, are you listening, Netflix? I always like yeah. to build good uh, relationships with people that could make or break my career. What sure. am I doing? I like when they change the yeah. thumbnail on me. Like, now I'm going to watch it. Like, okay, I <laughs> yeah, like this yeah. thumbnail. <laughs> what if you see an actual scene from the movie and not a, the poster? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like when they the autoplay of a scene from the movie starts. And I 
have a reaction. I think this is also being stuck in a house for a year and a half, but it's almost like if I if it's something I don't want to watch or I'm not interested in, if the autoplay starts, I rush to like flip forward. Yes. Where it's like, it's fine if you hear part of a movie you're not going to watch. Like there, I have some very strange reaction. Like if it starts, I'm going to have to watch it. And then, then where will I be? I have the Unless- same anxiety when it autoplays. I don't like it. I have to get yeah. it off of it. Yep. I agree. It's a bad choice. Plus, I click on the movie sometimes because I want to see the end of that scene. And then you're disappointed. Like, the start of the whole movie? I don't have time for that. <laughs> I just wanted to see how that argument ended in Act 3. Yeah, I thought it was the only one Guys, who got freaked out with the autoplay. It's, it's sort of, too much pressure. Uh, yeah, it's sort of like clicking on a sponsored ad. I feel so bad. I feel like I set myself back. Like, all the goodwill I've been, like, avoiding all these commercials. But then when I accidentally click on a banner ad that pops up... You know how like you load up a web page and then it just kind of shifts to the left a bit and you're like, ah, fuck, you got me. And I accidentally clicked on a banner post. Then I feel like I'm going to get a bunch more of those. And that's yeah. what it yeah. feels like with the autoplay. Yeah, yeah. You just end up accidentally watching Marge Simpson and Homer in some <laughs> sexual situation. Yeah. <laughs> or like on Netflix, the algorithm might think you like that because you somehow were interacting with it. I think it's that. I'm always so embarrassed when I see things I've been watching where it's like, oh, I wouldn't want people to come in and be like, are you really, a, are you an alien theorist? Like what's happening here <laughs> that you're Well, you know watching? what's even more intimate than that is when your YouTube page comes up because that gets way more niche. Like Netflix is kind of a little window into what you watch and you're not going to be that, you might be a little embarrassed, but if someone sees your YouTube splash page, <laughs> that's like a diary. <laughs> Yeah, it really is. That's someone would think I work on Honda Accords for a living because that's <laughs> yeah. all I've looked on YouTube is how to put on hubcaps and headlights. I look at a lot of these days. I think I look a lot of at a lot of um, uh, people reading tarot cards based on your sign, which is not necessarily something I like. It I think it's kind of interesting, but it's not like. You would think I lived my life by these <laughs> readings because there are so many of them on there because I'll just kind of let them play through or like... But then when those automatic ads come up, I always notice how mad I get. You know, you have to wait five seconds. Yeah, before you and can then skip. And cl- mm. then you can skip it. There's one lady that's at the beginning of one ad. I don't even know what it's for. When she starts talking, it's like, I fucking hate this lady. And it's like, <laughs> you don't, you don't. It's fine. Like you get to click off. It's only five seconds. But I, I, she's my enemy for sure. I get it. My pet peeve is like when you're watching maybe an hour long video on YouTube and you hit pause and then you leave the house and then you come back to it later that night and you hit play and they play ads. And I'm like, you don't get to do that. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't at an ad point. You just know that I left the house for a couple hours and you're trying to stuff some ads. I hit back. I don't let them have the satisfaction. I watch a new video. We just thought maybe you were at the store that whole time and you maybe uh, forgot to purchase. <laughs> yeah, you don't get to squeeze in new ads because I hit pause. <laughs> Last year, I bought the Always Pan. Have you ever seen the ad for the Always Pan? No, wait, what no. is it? How does it? It's like, well, first of all, the lady pronounces it the Always Pawn. And so I was watching it and just laughing at first. But then the longer I watched the video, it was like the perfect skillet, basically. It's like, it's coated. You can always use it. Yes. And there's like a steam basket in it. And there's all these ways to use it. Always pan. And I ended up buying one for my sister and my cousin Kim for Christmas. And I was just like, oh, this is... This is, I'm the dream person right now that like stumbled upon, watched the whole ad and then bought several of the product. Like how often does that happen? Right. That's the jackpot. So you love the pan, huh? I love it. I actually really do love the always pawn. But do you always? (laughs) Every day. Ah, comedy. Have you ever bought anything like that online, Fahim? Have you just like impulse infomercial purchase? Not the... Not like infomercial, but like I did get on the like cast iron skillet kick for a bit. And I was watching a lot of YouTube videos on that. Like how to, what's it called? It's called something your pan. Yeah, season your pan, all that. How to clean the pan. So that, and then I was on an air fryer kick for a while. I bought people air fryers. Yeah, I was like the Oprah for my podcast. I did like a, I did an air fryer giveaway. I was like, I I go, tell me why you deserve one and I'll send you one. (laughs) <laughs> and then I sent one for like to like two or three people. Nice. Yeah. Wait, are you a big believer? Because someone just gave me an air fryer. Oh my God, yes. Oh, okay. I'm a big fan. 
What's the good? Yeah, what can you do with this? You want me to preach it? Yeah. Yeah, please. Okay, okay. All right. So there's so many levels as to why it's great. Um, Just on (laughs) on a baseline level, reheating food alone, it's worth it for that. It's a time machine. It doesn't Mm -hmm. taste like something you reheated in the microwave. Like if you put pizza in there, it's like the first time you got it. Well, So even just for like reheating pizza, let's say. And I'm already sold. All you had to do that. But there's more? There's more. There's more. Oh, wait a minute. That's just my opening argument, okay? I'm still sitting in this studio audience. (laughs) Yes, tater tots in seven minutes. I mean, come on. That's too quick. There's no way they're as good as my normal half hour, (laughs) 40-minute tater tots. But they are, and they're crispy, and they're perfect. Yep. And then I clap. (laughs) Yeah. You can do salmon in it. You can do steak. Well, steak, I have a little hybrid method. I'll I'll start it out in the air fryer, but then I'll finish it on the skillet to like crust it. I notice you're mentioning things that aren't traditionally fried though. What about mm. uh, everyone's American favorite French fries? Yeah, you could throw that in there. I mean, look, it's not like oil <laughs> that you're dunking it in. And the right. air frying supposedly is healthier. Healthy. Yeah. yeah. We'll say that. It's healthier, but it makes you think it's not. It tastes like it isn't. Uh, no, it just, it does fries well. It does like mozzarella sticks. Like Oh boy. Any of those type of foods are like chicken nuggets, but you could do proper food like salmon and it's like way shorter time than an oven. I feel like the microwave is for like pasta and that's it. I use my microwave a lot lately and I do feel like um, kind of a loser when I depend on the microwave. <laughs> It's still good. There's a there's a time and place. Yeah. I mean, but not every day. Not every day. <laughs> you use it every day? <laughs> I, I have you, been, yeah. And You're uh, cooking in it? Like, I actually? Mean, you know, I reheat my leftovers, and then I, you know, I do that probably every other day. So every other day, I feel like a loser because of my microwave. Yeah, but you're reheating. That's not as bad. Yeah, it's what it's for. You've already sold me on the air fryer. I'm going to get one. I'm not going to wait and sleep on it like I did the Flobie. And then you get it 20 years later and it doesn't even work with curly hair. Then. Wait, did you do it? <laughs> I did get a Flobie, yeah. Hold on, when did you get it? Uh, about uh, 10 years ago. It it had the... It was, I remember the Flobie, man. Like, I don't know anyone who's actually purchased one. So this is like a gold mine for me. Like, yeah, it is. I'm getting to relive a conversation I never got to have. Yeah. yeah well, this is uh, exciting. ask away. I mean, you you do have to hook it up to a conventional vacuum. So which like a is shop what vac? Makes, <laughs> yeah. A shop vac. Maybe it would have worked on my hair. Uh, uh, okay. So any vacuum cleaner, you attach it. Yeah. Yeah. I had an old uh, tired red devil. But if I had had a shop vac, I think it probably would. <laughs> well, it just would have ripped it out of your head if it was a shop vac. Yeah, it's just, just a bald, bloody patch. Wow, that is short. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, that is, it even has the as seen on TV logo. How many times did you cut your hair with it? One time. Just the one time? <laughs> Two times. Sorry, yeah, I that's, just start singing I, I the I feel Fugees. like that's par for the course for the Flowbee. Like, no yeah. one's like, I've used it 87 times. I think yeah. it's once for the novelty, and you go, I can never do this again. Well, it's a lot like my massager that I just got. You really need to not live alone. <laughs> you think you're going to just, this will be great. I'm going to cut my hair on my own all day. And it, you kind of need someone's help. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Like, what the, did it not look great when you did it? Well, I'm not going to hire someone to come over and cut. I might as well go to a hair cutter if I'm involving a second person. But you have like great curls and stuff. I feel like. Thank you. Yeah. The curls can like hide a lot of the approximation of a haircut. So you could do it on your own. Yeah, I have before. Yeah. It's just in the back. Mm. Uh, there, There's a bit of a problem if I do, if I go. At, at you ever notice during the pandemic though, because of Zoom, like. It was almost like those sets when you're in a Hollywood lot. You just had to look good from like here to here. And no one knew what a wreck it was. You know how they just have like the front of a house at like Paramount? Like that was your face. It it was great because you didn't have to get ready as long as you normally would. Because you have to be three-dimensionally good looking in the real world when there's no pandemic. Yeah, you do. You have to rotate in public. Yeah, but when you're on Zoom, you're just two-dimensional. You're like Super Nintendo. And like- As long as this looks good, your money. Yeah. And yeah. then little did they know in back there's leaves <laughs> and band-aids. Yeah, just bad There's all kinds of crazy shit. <laughs> there's twigs. <laughs> in your special theme, you dance that I like that bit where you're like 
all comics dance at the beginning of when they're brought out. What if you kept dancing? Yeah. And Fahim dances, Karen, for like, I think three minutes. Yeah. yeah <laughs> First yeah. of all, you're a good... Do you ever dance seriously or are you just jokingly really good at dancing? You know, it's interesting. Like sometimes I will dance seriously, but because... Because sometimes I'll dance on my Instagram just like because I like a yeah. song and it's fun and you... I, sometimes I think that things could just be entertaining. Sometimes we forget as comedians or... So there's this thought like I got to be biting and the smartest guy in the room. Sometimes things can just be like joyful and yeah. entertaining. And so mm -hmm. sometimes I'll just post a dance video just because I like the song and I like the dance or whatever. But then people, because I'm a comedian, like wires get crossed with they're like, that's hilarious. <laughs> and a little of me is like hurt. Like it's not supposed to be hilarious. <laughs> but I'm glad you took something away from it. The main thing I took away is that at the end of your three-minute dance, you appeared to be not at all out of breath. And so then I, I wondered what other physical... Are you a runner? Do you swim all day? How the hell were you not breathing? Oh, do you hard? train? Were you trained as a dancer? <laughs> yeah. That'd be funny if I trained for my special just for that three-minute dance bit. <laughs> like I was just doing, holding my breath underwater and like cycling. And <laughs> Debbie Allen is there yeah. making you do stuff? <laughs> yeah. I'm training with Wim Hof for breathing techniques just to do this <laughs> dance bit. No, I mean, just like regular gym stuff. And it was just like that slice that was kind of, I don't know, physical. But I was okay after it. But if I have two shows and you do a weekend somewhere and you do something like that, you're pretty sweaty by the second show. You can't wear your silk shirt. Or <laughs> yeah, I used to wear silk. You'll get the pits. I could do silk for like a five-minute set, you know, but once, <laughs> if they tell me it's going to be 20 minutes, I go, I can't, I can't wear that kind of fabric. Yeah. Did you ever get caught up in the 90s with this silk boxer craze, Fahim? <laughs> no, I never even really got caught up in the boxer phase. Like, I, <laughs> I was, I was like whitey tidies for the longest time. Oh, wow. Just because my mom would buy them and like, I really didn't give a shit about like, fashion or underwear. It's just easier. Like my mom got it. I don't want to go to the store. So I would do whitey tidies for a long time. And then boxers felt like too much freedom. Oh, yeah. Like I need boundaries. I need constraints. <laughs> as a dancer. Yeah, yeah, as a dancer, yeah. you can't have it all hanging out. Come you, on. You have to. Yeah. It needs to be reined in. And then as I got older, I graduated to boxer briefs. It was a nice, I think, hybrid. Yeah. See, that's what everyone should have done. Regular boxers were stiff, unstretchable cotton for a while, I was getting silk ones. I think my dad was getting them for me. You should have fancy adult underpants. But they defied gravity and they would pillow up. <laughs> Just throughout the day, you had a wedgie. I don't know what was pulling them up to the sky. Yeah. But inevitably, they just rip in the crotch. You do one karate kick or one comedic kick and Game over. from front to back. Yes. But also it feels too sensual, like to be wearing silk boxers every day, that type of friction. Yeah, at my age, I was like 14, I shouldn't have had sensual boxers. <laughs> yeah, it's too ticklish, like uh, if you're in the porn industry or something, all right, if you if you need to excite your day-to-day, -day, but that's not like the Honda Accord of underwear. <laughs> that's like you're trying to, you're, you have a secret. And maybe like in the Bull Durham way, you're trying to distract yourself from something else you're worried about. So you have special underwear on. Yes, but it's a mental thing. It doesn't seem very realistic. It's not practical. It's not a practical underwear. Mm -mm. Where'd you grow up, Fahim? Seattle. Oh, Seattle the, win the rainy, the rainy town. The, <laughs> yeah. the old needle. The old needle. It's <laughs> old so funny. In Seattle proper? Puget. Uh, no, like Sound. the Burbs, like first Linwood, then... Woodenville. My parents are in Woodenville. You ever spend time in Kirkland? Oh, yeah. Come on, man. My brother's in Kirkland. <laughs> I'll check it out almost every year. I know all the towns, dude. <laughs> Any relation to Kirkland, the signature brand it is. from Costco? Yeah. I See, I didn't even know that. Mm. But I assumed go. it. Yeah. They make good stuff, Kirkland, huh? Did you ever have um, seasonal uh, depressive disorder because you lived in the rain? I don't think so. You know, people are always like, oh man, did it suck being in the rain? Are we depressed all the time? But when you grow up there, you don't know any different. Yeah. You know, so like maybe if I was a transplant, like if you came from LA and then lived in Seattle, that might be tough. But I I, I had no, I just thought that's the way life is. Did you ever see any grunge bands like <laughs> before they were huge? In the wild? I was too young. I was like in middle school and high school when it was the big grunge, like Nirvana and uh, uh, like who does Black Hole Sun? Like Soundgarden. Soundgarden, Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, all those guys. But I was into like '90s gangster rap, like The Chronic, Dog Food by the Dog Pound, uh, Doggy Style by Snoop Dogg. I was all about that. All about mm. dogs. I was all about dogs. <laughs>
Do you still listen? I still listen to early 90s hip hop. I I actually need to update my hip hop knowledge, but because I still just go back to the 90s. I'm so out of touch, man. Like I listened to, I was like really into rap, you know, when I was growing up, like 90s gangster rap. And then even some like P. Diddy, Maze, Notorious B.I.G., like, that was my sure. jam. But then I got into dance music in high school and I just didn't keep up with rap. So nowadays I'm just, I just like have no idea. Wait, were you like a raver? I have this weird relationship with like music and dance. Like I'm a huge aficionado and like I scrub for tracks like on Spotify all the time. Almost every day I'm searching for new music and I can dance, but I never went to nightclubs. I never like went to raves. Yeah. I would just do all this stuff privately. <laughs> that's great that's the way yeah. to do it it's like it's like a religion you know some people go to church but I had like a personal relationship with music yeah I grew up not that far away in Missoula Montana and anytime we went to Seattle or just part way to Spokane as a teenager you want to go to an all ages dance club so I've probably been to more dance clubs oh, in probably. the Seattle and Spokane areas than you. Yeah, you know, and sometimes because like people on Instagram on, on the videos when they're not laughing at me, the ones who actually like the videos, they'll be <laughs> like, whoa, like you must you must get all the chicks or you must have cleaned <laughs> house because you could dance like that. But then I always think like, how do you parlay that into getting chicks? Because <laughs> just like, I understand the girls like guys who could dance, but like to enter that scenario, it's very awkward. Like, the iterations of it. So what I show up to the club by myself and then I just start dancing and hopefully the girl, like I look like a weirdo. I'm just by myself yeah. dancing. Even if it's good, <laughs> it's like, what's the backstory here? This guy's creepy. And then what's the alternative? I come with my buddy. I think about it all the time. How do you segue from, because when I dance anywhere, it's by myself. It's a solo street mm -hmm. style. I don't involve, I don't know how to dance with another person. So you do your moves and then you, Pretend I the only way I can dance is if I pretend no one is there. If I start acknowledging another person, I hover above myself and I see the human situation I'm in. And suddenly the concept of dancing is so ridiculous. This happened the other night. I went to this place by my house, people were dancing, and I just was and I'm like, what are we doing as humans? We're moving our bodies to this sound. The last thing I'm gonna do is try and get yeah. a date. Like if you go by your yourself, you're like a Sim City character. <laughs> like if I dance if I dance close enough to these girls at a bar, they'll be interested or something. Like, or like they they're gonna circle up around yes. you. Like if you're good enough, they're gonna be like, Come on, guys. Cause I can't. I stopped drinking like when I was twenty seven, so I can't really dance. Like, I, I think drinking is the key. It helps. Right? Yeah. If you're just a little drunk, then you don't give a shit and you kind of, the that self-consciousness is gone. But I went to my friend's wedding like a couple of years ago and there was someone that I knew that tried to call me onto the dance floor. Like he was like, yeah, come on, come on, like that. And I was so furious because <laughs> it was so obvious that like you are, it was like a half step before like a proposal at a hockey game that goes up on the screen or whatever, where it's just like everyone knows this person wants you to come and dance with them. So your only option, like yeah. a big fucking idiot, is to stand up and be like, oh my God. <laughs> you know, like it was, it, I was just staring at him like, I'm going to kill you. Yeah. I don't, and it's someone else's wedding, so you can't be like a wet blanket. And like, but it's like, but I'm stone cold sober. Like everyone on the dance floor is, at least four drinks in. And now I have to get out there and just, oh, oh. I'm so furious. The worst is you have to put, like, paste that smile on your face, even though you want to kill them. <laughs> and, you, and, you, and you're like, oh, she's into it. And you just, like, want to strangle him. Yeah, no one in history has ever been like, I'm so glad you pulled me out there. Yeah, I don't know why no. I was apprehensive. That was the best time I've ever had. You're the one that went out there. You had to like stand by your own <laughs> dumb choice. That's not my, don't bring me into it. I can't fix this for you. Yeah. So other than dancing, do you, do you have any skills that no one knows about outside of comedy? I don't know. That's the trouble is like, sometimes you talk to people and they're like, yeah, I kayak, I rock climb. I do all this stuff <laughs> with my downtime. And I just like love stand-up and like sketches. And I, I just love comedy. So like I even do it with my free time. I'm not like writing comedy. I'm like, I can't wait to climb a rock after this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I don't have a bunch of like super specific outside interests. Like I'll play basketball every now and then, I guess, or I guess music and dance is the most specific thing. But outside of that, it's almost a distraction and I have to snap out of it soon because I've spent all this time the last year and a half just skateboarding and golfing. And now I'm like, oh yeah, I have to do comedy. I'm kind <laughs> of enjo cool. enjoying these 
these other things. It is, <laughs> but I feel like it's better as a comic to be 100% focused on it. Like, uh, Yes and no, though, because sometimes, I mean, I've noticed this even with myself. Sometimes you could be, you could drill down so much into comedy and and you need to like live regular life to be able to have to do the job. Right. Because if you're just like comedy, 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 you're not living enough life to extract from it. Like, are yeah. all your jokes about hitting different mics? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> On the other hand, though, I don't have a single anecdote about golf or skateboarding in my act. You know what I mean? Well, it could be sort of like a, a mind defragging, though. So even though it's not super immediate, yeah. it could be running in the background and, and give you perspective on stuff that you wouldn't have. Yeah, had- I suppose it forcing me to just be around regular people and interact and remember how regular people think <laughs> is the most valuable thing. I should start talking more to the people I golf and skate with That'll help. for ideas. That'll help you. Yeah. I'm studying human behavior. That's cool. You can skate though. I'm so envious of, because Instagram knows what you're into. Like it knows that I'll, I'll look at skateboarding clips. I don't know a ton. I don't like, you know, some people know every skater. They know every crew. I'm, I'm just like a cursory fan. Sometimes you don't pay attention for a while and you go, oh, humans are doing that now. And I've paid attention the whole time. And one day it'll hit me like, I can't believe what who is skateboarding now and what they're able to do. It just, it amazes me. I, I like it a lot. I think about it all the time. But uh. I also am a cursory fan who, like Chris, <laughs> Chris showed me a clip of this guy that did this jump off of that, um, it was like a Jiffy Lube on Sunset that like every... Oh, that car wash. Yeah, they they put a handrail up. No more jumping off that, uh, But it was way. like such an accomplishment <laughs> where it's like, so that guy must have done that 15 times and just bit it. And like, and he didn't get scared. He didn't give up. He didn't, you know, do it so badly. He went to the hospital. He just kept doing it until he could actually... And it was like a... It was really high. Like, it seemed really dangerous. Yeah, it's a roof and then a drop and then you're landing on this. I'm glad because I sent you the raw footage of him trying it over and over. I know now you didn't watch it because he did indeed break his leg. No, I didn't. And his foot's going in the... Yeah, and then he rehabilitated, healed, and then did it like first try after that. Like a year year later. I'm sorry. I, I sent it to you and I didn't realize... And I don't like seeing injuries. I don't ever want to see a foot going the wrong way. And I'm like, I can't believe I just sent that to Karen. It's pretty. So don't ever open that video I sent you. You know, it's funny. I almost never open any video anyone sends me because I know if they care enough, they'll bring it up again. Right. And most of the time I go, do I have three minutes to sit here and give this my full focus (laughs) or will I? And the answer is no. And so then I'm just like, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. If it's really important. Yeah, if they care enough, they'll follow up. (laughs) Yes, exactly. It has to be like a double request, basically. (laughs) That's a good rule. kind of a pain in the ass. But Fahim, you, have you worked through the pandemic? You had to go to work today, right? Yeah. So it was interesting. Like, I mean, before the pandemic, I was just sort of like stand up, just doing a lot of stand up and then an acting thing here and there. And stand up was a constant and everything else was just kind of like piecemeal. And then stand up stopped because of COVID. There was nothing going on in LA. And that was kind of strange for everybody, especially stand ups where it's like part therapy, part going to the gym, just. It's part of your routine. And then it's also a way to like have a livelihood, right? And then out of the sky, I got this like writing job, like the EPs for United States of Al on CBS. They were trying to staff up for, they wanted Afghan writers because the sitcom's about this Marine and his Afghan interpreter. And so they wanted to, you know, represent the room honestly and stuff. So, and they were familiar with my standup as well. So it was just random that during a pandemic, this like staff writing job just presented itself and I was doing that over Zoom for like season one and then now we're back at Warner Brothers in the lot like you know writing over there but yeah it was just I just got kind of lucky that that fell in my lap during the pandemic yeah that's cool yeah and you like it it's a cool room it's cool yeah it's a, it's a different thing yeah everyone's great I mean most of any job is just sort of like who you work with and people are lovely and they're great like yeah I really lucked out and now stand up is open so I get to do both like I'll I'll work by day and then do a set at the comedy store. And Have you been doing that? Like Lori Kilmartin or something where you... I know that she works every day and then I would see her at every show I did. Yeah. And she has kids or a kid. I'm like, how? Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, the fact that she does all that. I'm too lazy. I, I couldn't do it. <laughs> uh, you just kind of learn 
your threshold. It's a balancing act, you know. Obviously, yeah. I'm not doing as many sets as before the pandemic and before the job. But also the pandemic kind of made me prioritize things. I think a lot of people, even outside of comedy, just sort of evaluated their life and were like, do I need to be doing these things or going this hard on, like, do I need to do three sets a night? Right. And I think it's just carryover from when you're a younger comic and you just said yes to every set. But nuts and bolts, when you look at it, like, what am I learning between set one in the night and set three? Like, I could do one every night or like four a yeah. week, not have that much change in, in like growth. Yeah. I can't think of a time where I had three sets in one night. So I already know you work harder than me. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe in New York where it's like, oh, you just walk down to this other. Yeah. They talk like that there too, by the way. Yeah. You walk down to 38th and uh, the other UCB. Yeah. Oh, they, they're out of business. I shouldn't have brought that up. But you also need enough time between sets to kind of like marinate on what happened to have perspective a little bit. Because if you're just yeah. rushing to get to every set, you're not fully digesting what happened in every... I don't know. There's there's different schools of thought. The New York guys, those would be like, you do eight of them in a day. You just grind yourself <laughs> into a nub. And that's how you get funny. And <laughs> maybe in the first three years, it's important to get up just like a ton. But once you know yourself, I don't know if you need to be doing like four sets a night. It seems like... You save it for if you're prepping for something or there's some kind of like, yeah, because if you're just doing a 10 minute set and it's kind of the same all the time, you know. Yeah. It's what like, are you learning? What are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. I do that all the time. I, I think I just enjoy it. I'm like, well, I got to go do stand up because I know I'll be happy after that. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, uh, I got to go feel normal. Stand-up will help. I'm doing that in a couple days. I'll just wait till then and sit on the couch. Is your family happy that you have a writing job? Sometimes that legitimizes a comedy career. Or oh, yeah. did they already support you being a stand-up? Uh, like for my dad, like my dad is kind of like the last holdout on like comedy being a legitimate career or thing that you could tell other people and not be embarrassed by. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's just so funny that like, you know, I've been doing stand up for a long time and I've had some great milestones that like other parents would be very proud of and stuff. But it wasn't until I got a writing job that like my dad kind of finally was proud or could understand it. Yeah. Like my dad can only understand day jobs. He can, he can only understand going into work, sitting at a desk, yeah. like, getting coffee from the break room. If it doesn't, <laughs> if it doesn't fit into that, like, what is it? Yeah, and you're yeah. just having fun with your friends. Then you're just fucking around. Yeah, then I'm then night. I'm like Gaston at Disneyland or something. Like he doesn't <laughs> he doesn't get it. Well, also if you work on like working on a lot too, I think is really uh exciting for family members and people that are like, that's like you're not just justified, you're like, that's glamorous. That's like for normal really people cool Hollywood. For normal people, yeah. They'd be like, Oh wow, the <laughs> the water tower's there, they're filming movies, all these famous movies were shot there. But for my dad, it's just like, oh, you have a parking space and you have a building you go into for eight hours. Like all of the cool things he doesn't even care about is just sort of like, oh, you 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 have health insurance? Yeah, that was always on my mind when I had a writing job. I was like going into a parking garage and feeling like I was a legitimate adult all of a sudden. <laughs> but uh, I just wanted to do stand up more. I get yeah. that. I get that. Like, I just want to make sure you're still doing stand-up because you uh, make me laugh. Thanks, man. <laughs> yeah, I never want to leave stand-up. And it's kind of cool knowing the different animals now, just like stand-up and writing. Writing is cool. It's a different type of beast. You kind of lend a piece of you to the story or whatever your perspective is, but it's a collaborative effort. So it's like a percentage of you is being added to this comedic thing, whereas stand-up is like 100% you. Yeah. And that's like super fulfilling. Yeah, what I like about your stand-up is you threw out without presenting it like, and now I'm going to show you what that would look like. <laughs> you kind of just act out things and do sound effects throughout <laughs> entire stories. So I, I always forget that I like when I see a comic do that, and maybe I used to do it more. But you do it throughout, and it's not like a... Let's see what that yeah. might look like. Thanks, man. <laughs> yeah, if you're writing for someone else, do you ever... And this is like a writing question for both of you. Do you ever, in parentheses, 
say, at that point, you would look down and laugh and start dancing. And then, like, how much do you, or do you let them interpret it? I mean, some of it, like, is the actor's choice. You know, they'll do it a certain way. But then if it's, like, a very physical um, particular beat, it's, like, in the stage direction. You could put that in there. Yeah. Yeah. But when it comes to stand-up, I I, I like that you noticed that work. Because, like, some comics, it'll be very, and now, and it's very presentational of this physicality. But I, I mean, it's always joke first for me. And then the physicality in, in the act out is just kind of like, I see it in my mind's eye and I'm just sort of like, it's an extension of the bit. I'm just seeing it to yeah. fruition. Like, I'm not even, I don't even know I'm doing it or whatever. So I always like it to have this organic quality to it instead of like, here's a guy skiing. Like You could tell that the <laughs> comic saw himself in the mirror. That is a good bit though. Your skiing bit is so good. That was my early stuff where I just said, here's the guy skiing. My favorite is your pigeon who doesn't want to fly that decides to walk downstairs. That's one of my... <laughs> that was a real story in K-Town, this pigeon. You have to see it to get it. <laughs> I remember when a comic I really respect, I'm not going to name names, but went up after me and she was like, well, I wish I had more act outs because I guess I was doing a lot of act out. And it hurt me for like, for so long that I kind of did stand up differently after oh. that. I'm like, oh, maybe it's a bad thing that I'm no way, acting man. things out. I don't know. Was that also Lori Kilmartin? No, it was <laughs> Let's not. just say the name. Say the name. <laughs> no, Lori's great. <laughs> never, you couldn't even beat it out she of me. never. <laughs> I'll tell you when we're done recording. I think that's more of a testament to that comics insecurity than to like what you've got going on. You're just doing you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with act outs. Um, unless it's the here's a guy skiing, then that's a different thing. But if, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Or I mean, we can all draw the line at humping a stool. I think that historically. I wanted to do a bit where I got humped by the stool. Like I get fucked <laughs> by the stool. <laughs> <laughs> and the bit's called The Stool's Revenge. <laughs> <laughs> From all the years of comics fucking it. But you know, I, I've had this thought. Okay, so like, I think in the club circuit, like fucking the stool is like known universally as hack. But I would say like the alt equivalent of stool fucking is like reading a letter you wrote or like a Yelp review. Yeah. Like when you pull something out and you're like, so I yeah. wrote and it's this long ass thing. That's that's the alt version of stool fucking. Yeah, I've done that before and not realized it used to bother me so much when someone was just reading a thing. You just get used to it. One day you're on stage like, oh my God, I'm reading something. <laughs> yeah, I'm reading a, a letter or like a, a sub stack <laughs> thing. Who have I become? Who yeah. am I now? Reading a thing while humping a stool. I'm oh my the worst God. of both worlds. But it is impressive. And just hard cut to the earth and then exploding. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, um, I thought maybe there would be a lull like that. So I uh, did the liberty of looking up uh, good questions to ask comedians. <clears throat> I don't ever do any preparation, so I thought... Uh, Where? Yeah, yeah. Where'd you get this? Well, a lot of them are interview questions uh, from movies, and a lot of them are questions that you should never ask a comedian. And I'll, yes, and I'll, go into I'll, a taboo Yeah, I'll start area. with those. Okay. Um, Fahim, do you write uh, your own routines? <laughs> That's like the, yeah. Isn't it the? Wasn't it on like Norm's podcast where where he'd be like, like where do you or how do you write your stuff or where do you come up? With, like that was just like an ongoing runner, like a joke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a joke question. Where do you where do you get your stuff? Yeah, yeah I write. I, it's so funny. Like people ask that all the time. Like when civilians find Always. out you do stand up, they go, "Do you write your own stuff?" Or it's just such a foreign concept to them. I snap yeah. back at them with. Like an almost attitude, like, yes, everyone should. No one doesn't. And I'm like, why am I so angry? Sorry. I mean, if someone's famous and they go to the same city three times a year, they sometimes hire and pay a writer. That'd be funniest to be like, but I don't do that yet. I hire people to write my act. I mean, how funny would it be to like be at our level and just say, like, I hire writers, I find them off Craigslist. Like you're already like making no money and you're going to farm out the writing. <laughs> yeah, Just easier. It's how I want to spend my money. It's easier. I would do it. Another pet peeve is when they go, um, oh, let me, uh, let me know when your next show is. Like, like I've been doing stand-up <laughs> for three months and I'm just doing bringer shows where I have to bring my own audience members. Like, and then here's, here's how that plays out. You think- I'll come support. Yeah, I'm, okay, some acquaintance or some guy I meet at a house party or something- I'm going to get his info and say, hey, I'm performing next week. Do you want to come? 
It's it's like the adult version of watch me jump off this diving board. <laughs> and and then what's gonna happen? Mom, yeah. mom, mom. And then I'm gonna call him and be like, hey, it's Fahim. And he's like, who? And I'm like, Fahim from the party. Remember the stand-up comedian? And he's like, oh yeah. Well, you said like, you know, tell tell you when I have a show. I have a show Tuesday. Do you wanna come? And he's like, oh, I'm busy. Okay. Well, <laughs> what about Wednesday? I have a show. And then yeah. you're just sort of like working yeah. out. Or you could be like, like you, you need asked this from this me. Guy. You asked me to do this. If you care enough, you'll find me. You'll you'll Google me and, and come to a show. Yeah, that is so funny. Everyone says that. Let me know when you have a show. And I always just lie and say, I sure will. I sure will yeah. let you know. Isn't it crazy? <laughs> Through posting about it on my social media. And then I'll... It's just a societal lie that both of you have to tell each other. Like nothing has happened. He doesn't mean let me know when you have a show. And you don't mean when you say, I'll definitely let you know. And one of my rules, or I wish I could enforce it, is strangers only. Yo. I don't want anyone I know to be there. Dude, I love that you have that rule. I mean, I preach that, especially in the early years. I never understood the people who started doing stand-up for like three months, and they invite every person they've ever known in their life just to make every relationship awkward from that point forward. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they're all wooing. You know someone filled a room yeah. when they're all just going, woo, after a joke <laughs> instead of laughing. Give yourself the opportunity to bomb. <laughs> I had met a guy one time at a wedding and someone had told him I did stand up. And he goes, yeah, I like to go to comedy clubs and heckle. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. Does someone actually to be proud of that? Oh, my God. He was really proud and a little confrontational. I was just like... All right, well, I'm not going to fight you on behalf of all stand-up comics. I don't care. I feel like that has gone away a little bit. Of course, people get drunk and they sure. they don't know that they're yelling things because they're used to talking to their TVs or something. But there used to be a thing like 10 years ago where people thought, if, I'm, if I show myself, first of all, I'm helping the show. Mm. And also, maybe they think that they're going to get discovered in some weird way and go to some heckler finals. Yeah, there's a heckler agent. Like, I like your stuff. (laughs) Yeah, Can you do this at every show? Yeah. Are yeah? Are you? you, Is that? Here's that's the one of these the worst questions to ask a comedian. Are you? Are you ever worried a heckler will be better than you and end up (laughs) taking your spot on the stage mid-show and cashing your check? That is That's fucking one of the hysterical. Questions. Imagine how little confidence you have in yourself as a performer if you're performing and the whole time you're like, I hope a heckler doesn't pipe up and is way better than me. <laughs> I hope they don't have a microphone and smarter ideas. Yeah, and I hope they don't pull my pants down when I'm on stage and point out my <laughs> tiny pee-pee. <laughs> That's really specific. I hope it doesn't we happen. We all have a lot of fears. I one time on stage was kind of eating it at the improv and... Uh, which is how I like to do it. And <laughs> there was a guy, this was like in the mid-90s, I think. And there was a guy to my left and his beeper went off. And so I turned and was like, oh, the doctor's in the house. And I tried to like rip him a new one for having his beeper go off. And he just was staring at me. And then when I like finished the last pseudo insult that I tried to hurl at him. He just held up his wrist. He was like, it was my watch. And it was just his watch like beeped 10 o'clock. You know, like, dude, dude. It was the smallest thing that I totally overreacted to. (laughs) I just stood there staring at him. He just got me in the kindest, most understanding way where he was like, almost in a pitying voice was just like, hey, like, take it easy. It's my yeah. watch. Yeah, it was but fucking awful. Why you have to have such a loud-ass watch? I would have doubled yeah. down. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, loud. Look at me. Look at my watch. I'm a doctor. <laughs> I have a loud watch because of my doctor job. That's when I started to realize it's like, it is about the ease with which you approach the things that happen to you on stage. It's like, yes. you can think of good stuff to say back, but then if you're really upset as you say it, you're not going to win. It doesn't, yeah. you know what I mean? It's, you can't be all... It's more about the first thought and just the conversationality of it rather than what is the best line in the world that I can deliver at this... Like you expect like an explosion of laughter based on this like curveball you got instead of just yes. reacting like a human in the moment. But some yep. comics, like the slightest thing will will like be not, you know, like a, a girl will like laugh too loud or say something and they go nuclear. And you go, yes. no, no. You've lost the goodwill. A lot of people don't go to comedy 
clubs because that's their biggest fear is someone going nuclear on them for sneezing or having a bad laugh. It's like that has to be, that stigma has to go away. All laughs are good. Oh. Don't yell stuff, but no one's going to attack you out of... They think we're bears Because you something. sit up front. We don't want to sit up front. The, the comedian will pick a fight yeah. with us and hurt our feelings. I make I've a point never... to rip people in the back row just to let them yeah. know, like, no one is safe. I have I have night vision and I have... Yeah. <laughs> he has the most amazing uh-huh. eyes. I, go, I have the night vision and then I have binoculars and I just roast everyone in the darkness. I go, you guys can't see what I'm looking at, but I'm spot on with these roasts. Yeah. Hey, you in the sound booth. They're nice. all behind you. That's actually a really good bit because the people that, that no one can see, they were just like, trust me when I tell you, I'm ripping the shit That's out of the hilarious. back row. That'd be a funny character. It's like back row roaster. The comedian comes on and just roasts everyone that nobody can see. And the crowd has to actually take, take his word for it. If you want to take a minute to write that down, I would love it to come see you. <laughs> Do that. Back if you let me know roast. when one of your shows is. <laughs> yes, be like, you know, yes. all, a lot of comics do the front row roasting. I'm one of the rare breeds who does back row, back of the room roasting. So put on your hats, well, folks. Look at this guy <laughs> over here in the corner. I'm kind of next level where I'll be uh, in the lab at the improv and I'm roasting people in the audience in the main room. Yes. <laughs> so I need quantum roasting? Yeah, there, there's. Well, I have an IFB, and there's a guy in the hallway that speaks to me. He's dressed like a door guy. No, he describes, describing flaws. There's like a it's guy hard in to a get van the timing next to the improv. There's like 15 people involved. You have know, FBI guys in a van, and like it's surveilled in the main room, and there's an earpiece just giving you info to what to roast the guy in the main room. All right, he's got a mustache. guy just sneezed. Go, go, go. He's crying. He's crying. Yeah, it no, he's looking around confused. He, he he doesn't know why there's a camera on him. Is there a moment that was your mo- your worst moment on stage that always stands out, or is there just a blur of many little moments? Uh, no, the big one for me, like because every comic has horror stories, but mine is like Mount Rushmore horror moment. It was, I think it was first couple of months doing stand up. I was seventeen or eighteen, and I did the Paramount Theater in Seattle. It was like the Apollo Theater came by every city. Yeah. And like I got on it and then I just got booed by like 4,000 people. (laughs) And that was like my first year of doing stand-up. Just it like no human ever experiences that in life, you know, except in their nightmares. Oh my God. And so it's such a surreal experience to get booed by like 4,000 or like 4,500 people. And then, but then I kept doing stand up afterward. Like, I'm kind of glad that it happened that early in my career because you're bulletproof after that. Like, the worst thing anyone could ever imagine happened. It like wasn't that bad. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay. I really love this and I'm driven to do it. Yeah. I did a show in, uh, I was just in England working an acting job, but I'm not bragging. That's why I was, I wasn't there to do comedy. <laughs> I just a did a show. That was a straight up brag. I, I, it was more to let you know I don't get work in the UK as a stand-up <laughs> comedian, and I would like to. But I, I called Matt Kirshen, and he got me a spot at a place called The Frog and Bucket, and they had a show where there was some three or four booked comics, but in between them all, it was like an open mic, and they handed three signs to the audience, a little frog on a stick, and people gradually raised these signs, like the opposite of pushing the button on American Idol. Mm-hmm. It, and once you see the third frog, you have to get off stage. <laughs> and I was so worried that they, because they're still holding them during my booked 15-minute set. and But they were so polite about it. Even when all three frogs went up, the comic would be like, oh, sorry, I'll, I'll bet it next time, sorry. And they, every, no one got bent out of shape. Like, if you did that here, people would be like, fuck you, what do you know? Well, that's the whole reason they have the Sandman with the Apollo, because no one would be like, all right, see you later. They need a guy to literally, yeah. like, sweep you off the stage. I swear to God, I was going <laughs> to ask off. about that, but I didn't know if I conjured it from some In Living Color uh, spoof or something, if a... Does a guy come with a broom yes. or did I... That's the whole, that's the whole thing that's of Apollo. On, okay. I thought for a minute that was from a parody of that. <laughs> I could see that. So, Fahim, that happened to you when you did it in Seattle? That happened? The, the Sandman came out? Yeah, but the, but I was like the British people because like I know how the Apollo works. I didn't wait to get swept. I, like yeah. I, I heard the siren go off <laughs> and I was like, Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. (laughs) I love that he's called the Sandman, the bringer of nightmares from Metallica. (laughs) 
<laughs> Have you seen the video of Lauren Hill getting booed off the stage at the Apollo? Oh, no. God, no. Yeah, she go, she walks out and starts singing, and it's lo- fucking Lauren Hill, but she was, I think she was like 16. Yeah. She was pretty young. And it it only lasted like 15 seconds and she got booed off. Yeah. And you, like, oh, as you're watching no. it, because she does have a style, mm-hmm. you know, her own kind of singing style. But it was, it, it's just the funniest thing. I, I remember seeing that and having this weird thing snap inside me where I was just like, oh, it's not like, it can happen to anybody. Yeah. It can happen to the most talented people ever. Yeah, you know, and, and I think that carries over into other facets of entertainment too. I think this was like a big revelation for me because like when you are in entertainment, you like it's hard to get into it. And then when you're in it, you feel like it's a final. Every time, any opportunity you get, you feel like it's a final. And then you come to realize that it's just a world that you live in. And sometimes you do well, sometimes you don't. And the times you don't isn't a reflection on your entire being. It's just maybe you weren't right for that job. Like, if you get fired off of a job or if you excel at this other thing, it's just sort of like, uh, it's more about the overall, um, I don't know, your percentage of the overall rather than one particular, like you can't bat a thousand and that's okay. Right. Yeah, it was good for you to get booed off the stage. Yeah. 18. That was good. Because I would have been a monster if everyone was like hoisting me on their shoulders. I would just like, have, yeah. I would have sunglasses during this whole interview. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd be like, what else? What else you got? <laughs> yeah, what else? Just looking at, looking at my two phones. Like, all right, I gotta, I gotta get out of here. Cool, is that it? Do you guys need anything else? All right, cool. I like that sunglasses are the, <laughs> that's a guy that has it all together and doesn't give the a shit. I bought these sunglasses during quarantine for a sketch that I ended up not doing, but it was those like flip up sunglasses. <laughs> so, so it's like regular, you know. Dwayne Wayne. And then it's, yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's just, sometimes I'll look at myself in the mirror and I have those glasses and it's just amazing how those flip up shades change your entire demeanor. Like I, if I have them up. <laughs> I look like a very personal guy. Like you, you could talk to me, but then I put him down. You're like, stay away from this guy. <laughs> like, what's his angle? Did, what was your? I haven't seen you. You probably haven't done it for years. But your character that had you weaved in, I think professionally, or had it made. Was it a mullet or just a rat tail mullet? No, it was like a mullet. It was like uh, it was two rows. <laughs> like I became very aware of women's hair from wearing this. Like I didn't know what a weave was or extensions or yeah. how they worked. Um, but yeah, they're like clipping. They're like two rows, and it just looks like a legit straight up mullet. And I would go up at the comedy store on Saturdays, like around midnight, and just in a wife beater and like just acid wash jeans, and I would dance for like a minute up top because they would play this dance music. <laughs> They'd be like, please welcome Lance Gansanopoulos and then just like dance and and then just take questions from the audience. <laughs> and it was all improv and it was just so fun. I think during that time I was I was going I I should hang out there, but at the time I was trying to hang out there more and I saw you do it a few times and it was that was the first time I saw you, and so I just thought that's who you were, and so did the whole audience. So it's a full commitment. Well, that's the beauty of it. Like honestly, like seventy percent of the crowd thinks that it's a real guy. Yeah, and 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 like thirty percent are in on it, and yeah. and it's this beautiful because it's great to see faces in the crowd, and they're trying to figure yeah. out like, is this a joke or is this for yeah. real? What's Lance's last name? Can't stop Alice. Can't, Can't stop. <laughs> Can't stop Alice. Yeah. <laughs> It don't matter how hard you try. <laughs> you can't stop. That You got to be careful with that, though, because we all saw what happened to Larry the Cable guy's oh, real name. I know that if I did that continuously, it would devour Fahim Anwar. So I consciously yeah. refuse to give the audience what they want every week, you know? <laughs> yeah, it might be folklore, or but I don't know. We'll ask him when we have him on one sure. day, right, Karen? But I heard that... That's right. <laughs> I like it yes. being a treat that I want to pull out of the treasure chest instead of right. being a slave to Lance Kinstopoulos. Because, yes, I heard that people would call... Uh, I forget his name, his real name, but... Oh, Dan Whitney? They would say, hey, can you... The Everyone seemed to like that Cable Guy character you did for 10 minutes. Because he used to leave and come back like, hey, I'm a redneck. Let mm-hmm. me... Uh, and, uh, yeah, that, uh, that to me was like a fear of mine, uh, like such a weird thing to be scared of as a comic when you're starting, like, don't, don't go too deep undercover Yeah, or then you end up be, <laughs> being hilarious. in a gang. It's like, <laughs> well, uh, inception, like you, yeah. you go too deep, you never come back. 
You're like, oh, this wasn't a character after all. I was playing a character when I wasn't Lance Can't Stopless. I have a question, though, for the Q&A. Sure. So you dance, mm -hmm. <laughs> then you take questions so you don't have an act? No, no, no. It's just Q&A the whole time. So it's just sort of like <laughs> answering the questions from the crowd and then the, like, all right, who else has questions? <laughs> for, As your act. Yeah, for, for 15 minutes. And it was beautiful <laughs> because so, they would watch regular stand-up, which is great, you know? People have great acts, but you're still operating within the confines of stand-up where it's like set up, punch, jokes, and then Lance is just real. Like he's just <laughs> he's just there dancing, looking at you, talking to you, like <laughs> getting questions from the audience who are trying to paint him into a corner with their questions, but he weasels <laughs> out of it and then he'll start dancing again for no reason, like turn the music on. <laughs> it's it's just like fun chaos. Do you do that anymore cuz I want to start doing it. <laughs> yeah, I want to see I it. I need to do it like I brought, because I didn't do them for like two years. And then I, before the pandemic, literally like the week before the comedy store closed, I brought them back out and I did a set at the comedy store. And and then the pandemic hit and I haven't done it since. I, I think I will eventually bring them out. But that set is on YouTube. A couple of Lance sets are on YouTube. So if you search for Lance Canstopolis, you can see kind of a little bit of what he does. <laughs> watch that. Oh, that's so great. Did you do any Zoom comedy shows? In uh, quarantine? I was against it for a while, but then part of me was like, let me just see what it is before I kind yeah. of swear to never do it. Yeah. So I did one and I'm like, okay, all right, I don't love it, but I did it. I'm glad that I did it. But then some opportunities came up through the pandemic where people were putting on Zoom comedy shows for like decent money. And yeah. I was like, yeah, I'll be on a webcam for 15 minutes for this amount of money. Yeah, it almost feels bad. I did a couple of those too. I'm like, oh, you don't have to give me $500. <laughs> I was in my bedroom. Yeah. Uh, what, did it really pay that well? Like oh, one or two that, of them that did. was just another one of my Shit. little humble brags. I like to fit them in there. <laughs> uh, I was in the UK, you know, oh. it, it was only five grand. But anyway, just kidding. I didn't. Uh, I, yeah. I had a different experience, I think, than a lot of people where I just, I'm like, was in a panic right away. And a week into the pandemic, I was just exercising, doing push-ups. I'm not going to drink. And I'm going to do all these Zoom shows. I just did it every night, all these awkward to silence. And then I learned over time that it, I was becoming an unhappy individual. So hmm. everyone learns different. Yeah. Everyone experiences that differently. So you decided you, you didn't like them at the end. Like you did them and then you were like, you know what, I'm against these. Well, I did one or two. And I go, okay, it's okay, but I don't enjoy it enough to keep on doing it for like free. But then they'll throw a number at you and you go, yeah, I'll, I don't hate it that much for this money. Yeah. Then it was just like a financial thing whenever I'd get presented. But like on an artistic level, I don't love Zoom shows. Yeah, they're rough. Yeah, they are. And they start getting better. I mean, they were just about to figure it out as far as like letting in the designated laughers mm -hmm. and the timing got better. And there were nights where I was like, oh, that felt like stand-up again. I can't wait. It just made me hungry for doing stand-up again. But that's already worn off. I'm already uh, back to square one. Yeah. Well, remember, the, did you do any drive-in shows during the pandemic? I loved it. That was the other thing. I was so scared about honking cars. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I immediately loved it. In some ways, more than an audience, because there was flashing lights. You could see exactly what areas of the parking lot. I'm just talking about the one <laughs> yeah. at the Irvine Improv. And I thought just because of the way I hate horns now, there might as well be motorcycles revving every time you tell a joke. I, horns are a bad thing. And yeah. I immediately was like, oh, now I like horns. Oh, so I now like when, someone, when you cut someone off and they honk at you, you go, thank you, yeah. thank I, you. I'll I'm, be here I'm, all week. I'm here all week. <laughs> I'm at a red light for a whole week. Yeah, I'll be on the 405 all week. <laughs> are you currently then riding on the... Uh, yeah. The yeah. United yes. States Al. Al. Yeah. yeah. I think we go till late March and then we wrap the season. And that's on CBS? CBS. That is correct. Do they buy you lunch? You, whoa, I love that you know this. Yeah, that's, that's the <laughs> other cool thing about like the writer's job <laughs> is that lunch is provided and the break room situation, like all the snacks, gum. Oh. I didn't think I would have free gum. I, I thought I'd have to be a baseball player. Gum, mm -hmm. as far as the eye can see. Gum as far. Dentine ice, trident. What do you want? They got it. <laughs> Oh my it's all God. there. I had to buy a meal plan at Fox. <laughs> oh, 
It's, it's like you're going to elementary school yeah. and you have like a meal plan, like a hot lunch. It was my own money and I'd just buy it ahead of time. You get a somewhat of a discount depending on the popularity of your show, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> That's right. Oh, we're at a, you get a 10% discount with this show. Don't you can't sit by those people. They're on the real Fox. <laughs> You're just on fuel TV. <laughs> oh God. I did boss at one writing job who I adored, Owen Ellickson. He's hilarious. And um he was obsessed with lunch. And so he would start the discussion about what we were gonna order at like 10 30. Mm-hmm. Like he couldn't wait. <laughs> and we would order all kinds of crazy shit. And there was one day where we were all sitting around eating ramen out of these big, like, styrofoam bowls. And it was just, like, throwing soup at your face. Like, it was impossible to not eat sloppy and gross, where I was just like, this is insane. Like, this is, <laughs> this is like, every dream I've ever had come true. Or, like, I get to be in a room with really creative people. But then there's also this kind of food element yeah. of, like, do we all have to agree together what we want today? Yeah. It just, that part of it really, I love the camaraderie of it. How about wings with a communal bucket of buffalo sauce? (laughs) Well, it's always nice when someone suggests like a table food item. Like, all right, you want to do some table queso? And like, no one's going to turn that down. Or like, all right, you guys do calamari? Calamari for the table? (laughs) Yeah. Fancy, some kind of fancy sushi that everyone's like, no, yeah, we got to do it. We got to do it. You feel less bad about the extravagance when you say it's for the table. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The dream. Yeah. Uh, One day again. One day I'll eat communally. You will. You're going to get there. Uh, Fingers crossed. Fahim, is there anything else you want to plug? Yeah, plug away, plugger. why not? Uh, my podcast, He Man Wore Dance Hour. That's mine. That's kind of where the space is right here. And then I guess the special that you saw that it was on CISO back in the day and then Comedy Central got it. So it's on their YouTube now. That's great. So that one's called There's No Business Like Show Business. I'm starting to put more clips on my, just like, you know, current stand up clips on my YouTube, which is just youtube.com slash Fahim Anwar. And then, you know, Fahim Anwar for Instagram and Twitter and all that. I think that's about it. And we will see, I can't promote it enough, his uh, self-tape audition for The Invisible (laughs) Man. And then, of course, is it Dino Can't Stop You List? No, that's Uh, someone's real name. That's Lance. Lance Can't Stop You List. And just my Instagram Uh, in general, there's a lot, I think there's a lot of, I always try to put like stand-up clips or sketches and stuff. So that's like a good entry point if you are any bit curious about me. Yeah, I can't wait to see you again. You're what you know, you get tired of watching a lot of comics. And when I'm at the store, I'm like, I don't know a lot of these people. It's not my scene. I was always relieved when you were there. So uh That's so uh, nice, man. You're fun Please to watch. come by, yeah. man. I love you too. Like it's always nice yeah, to see you. Yeah, I will. I'm anywhere. gonna I keep saying I will. I just gotta to have a private conversation with you about parking and then sure. I'll be there with bells on. <laughs> Karen, you gotta come too. Come to the comedy store, we'll hang out. Absolutely. If you do Lance Can't Stop List, I will be in the front row and I will have seven questions for yeah, you. Don't worry. I'll, I love, oh, I love yeah. that idea. Yeah. I, yeah, I'll save all these questions that I was... I for really Lance, did. That'd be hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So funny. How do you think of these bits? I mean, he hasn't done any bits. Yeah. He's, just He's like, what are dancing. bits? I have no idea what that is. <laughs> I'm just going to ask dance-related questions. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait. I mean, Lance would love nothing more than that. <laughs> thanks for being on today, buddy. Of course. Thanks for yeah, having thank me. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. You've been listening to Do You Need a Ride? DYN AR. This has been an Exactly Right production. Produced by Annalise Nelson. Engineered by Stephen Ray Morris. Mixed by Ryo Baum. Theme song by Karen Kilgariff. Artwork by Chris Fairbanks. Follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Dynar Podcast. That's D Y N A R Podcast. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. Listen, subscribe, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. And you're welcome. See, I do sounds too.